Hello and welcome to the Friday, May 7th, 2021 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, spring break, a grand bargain, and virtue signaling. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, James. Aaron Murphy, Lee Newspaper Statehouse Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James. And Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. No hangovers from Pints and Politics? Uh, oh, no, no. no. Okay, never. Doing fine. <laughs> no more than usual. <laughs> you can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to I Know podcast. First up, spring break. Congress is in recess, so our elected representatives are making the rounds, flying drones, throwing out ceremonial first pitches, listening Dairy Queen, the heavy work of being a member of Congress. To be fair, they also spend some time on their serious side of their jobs. Uh, Amy, you uh, caught Senator Joey Ernst in Independence the other day where she was talking about a few of her priorities, including a, a renewed push to address and prevent sexual assault in the military. Uh, this has been one of her top issues for some time. Uh, and although she previously supported another approach to handling sexual assault in the military, what makes her optimistic about this legislation now? Well, what makes her optimistic is that they've got the votes. Um, she's estimating, she estimated yesterday there were 53 co-sponsors. There might be more by now. Um, she's also sent it to several Republicans that um, she said, you know, are, are mulling it over. And she hopes to hear from them when they get back um, on Monday. I think what really um, is going to help is that, you know, obviously Ernst is herself a sexual assault survivor and a Iowa Army National Guard commander. Um, so she's very close to both issues. And she's a Republican, so she can sort of help get other um, Republicans that are on the fence on board. She said that she finally ended up um, supporting it after, um, you know, she spoke with Gillibrand and, and asked for, like, prevention um, measures to get in there. So it's more like not just um, prosecuting higher crimes by an independent prosecutor, but also um, you know, preventing that from happening in the first place. So that was really important to her and, and ended up bringing her on board. But, but yeah, this is... It's still got, you know, an uphill climb. I think she thinks it's going to do pretty well in the House, though, too. They've also got a bipartisan coalition there. Um, I, I can't remember. Jackie, what's her name, is is introducing it in the House, who is also um, an armed services member, as well as Marionette Miller-Meeks will be introducing it or co-sponsoring it, at least. So I think the, the consensus is that it's probably going to be attached to the um, Defense Authorization Act and go through that way. Um, which also has given it a better chance. So, so I think it's it's got a good chance. But I mean, Gillibrand's been pushing this for a decade, maybe. Um, so it's it's you know it's about time that it probably goes through. Yeah, I saw a story yesterday. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff said uh, that the military hasn't moved the needle on this issue. Um, so uh, yeah, maybe the timing is right now. Um, and, and that's sweet Ernst, too. That's exactly what she said. You know, at first she was like, this should stay within the military. You know, this really should stay with the commanders. They know their unit, yada, yada. But she was really swayed by that. Like you said, um, the Defense Department's um, note that not only are sexual assaults not going down, they're actually increasing. Mm -hmm. So something's got to move the needle, like you said. Erin, uh, Ernst, as Amy mentioned, has been pretty frank about her experience as a sexual assault survivor. How much does that willingness uh, and her military veteran status help make the case for action now? Yeah, if you listen to a couple of other 
senators and, and advocates who spoke at a, at a press conference on this out in D.C. last week. It, it means a lot. Um, Christian Gillibrand said it. Uh, Ted Cruz said it. And talk about it, an unusual political uh, pairing there. Um, and uh, and the gentleman's names escapes me, but uh, he was he's the head of a, a national advocacy group for uh, sexual assault survivors. He talked about how critical Joni Ernst's support was to this uh, bill for for the reasons that Amy laid out. That she comes at this from from both kind of uh, I don't want to say sides. There's not two sides to sexual assault, but but both the military aspect of this and and then the sexual assault survivor aspect of this she's she's got experience with both um and so she has a unique perspective and 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 republicans have been more hesitant uh to come on board to to this kind of change um and and as amy said uh, senator Ernst being a republican also helps her so she really is uh um kind of an ideal uh person to help move the needle on this so the fact that she has changed her view on this. She, she previously, as you noted, has been resistant to the specific action of having, um, taking the decision out of the chain of command and putting it into the hands of an independent, still military, but independent military prosecutor. Senator Ernst in the past had been hesitant to that. The fact that she is now open to that. Um, and as Amy noted, got some other things in the bill too, to, to get her support on board has been uh, a big deal. Amy, um, Senator Ernst also talked about some of her other priorities, including mental health and prescription drug pricing, which is an issue that uh, didn't go anywhere when there was a Republican in the White House and, and a GOP ran the Senate. Uh, so why uh, does she think that it's got a shot now? I, I mean, I I think she's pushing it. I don't know if she thinks it's it's got as much of a shot. Um, she did also, you know, talk about the prescription um, drug bill, which you know Grassley's always been a longtime supporter of, and and she's been a supporter of. Um, she mentioned one of the big issues is that it seems to be pretty partisan. So when Donald Trump um, was president, there were Democrats that refused to back it. Um, now, if Biden comes out for it, she thinks that Republicans will drop their support. So it's kind of really dependent, um, she thinks, on the administration and the, the party. So that's kind of unfortunate because, um, as she mentioned, it's really something that she hears a lot from her constituents, that prescription drug prices are one of the biggest costs that they face for their health care. So I think, you know, it's it's just got to be more coalition building at this point. Um, you know, maybe if Biden stays out of it, that could actually help build the Republican coalition. So I'm, we'll see. I don't think she's as optimistic as she is about the military justice bill. Sticking with our spring break theme, even though uh, members of Congress are out in their districts, uh, there's a lot of news from Washington uh, about the Republican um, House caucus and who uh, might lead that. Uh, Liz Cheney, the congresswoman from Wyoming, is on the outs um, with many members because she voted for impeachment um, and hasn't apologized for that. Uh, Amy, you you talked with... uh, Representative Ashley Hinson this morning about her decision um, regarding that, um, and she's already made a choice. Yep. So Trump came out on Wednesday, I believe, and uh, put out a statement that endorsed Elise Stefanik. Um, she's a Republican from New York. And then basically the next day, Hinson came out and endorsed Stefanik as well. Um, and she's Stefanik's been gaining votes in the House. Um, so they've, they, they think that she's got enough votes 
to actually oust Liz Cheney, which um, really would be something, I think. You know, I don't know if Liz Cheney has been doing herself any favors by constantly being vocal about um, her dislike of Republicans continuing to harp on the election results. Um, I think she had an op-ed just this week in the New York Times about it. So, yeah, it's if if you think that that's fracturing the party, whether or not you're on the fence or agreeing or disagreeing with Liz Cheney, that could be swaying Republicans to go with um, the other thing. And obviously an endorsement from Trump is also going to be very um, tantalizing to some Republicans. I think, you know, Hinson came out and said, you know, she's not necessarily criticizing Liz Cheney. She didn't criticize her in her statement. She didn't criticize her on the call today. She was just saying, at least it seems like she's the right one to lead the party, a.k.a. if this is where the party is going in the future, then that's who we need to be putting into leadership. And I, there's some question as to whether Cheney is actually going to survive a reelection attempt in Wyoming at this point, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, it, this morning, there was speculation that, uh, you know, New York is losing a congressional seat that uh, Democrats might decide to uh, gerrymander Stefanik out, out of a out of a job. Uh, so, uh, so they could both uh, be out and then they'll have to just pick a new one. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's also interesting that um, Ashley Henson was asked if she would be a candidate for that position um, because she kind of fits the, the, the model, uh, young female mother, Midwestern, uh, good communicator. And uh, when she was asked, she said, no, she, she felt like she needed mm. to sort of uh, make sure that she had a seat uh, in 2022 as opposed to running for a leadership position. So, um, I, it's a swing I, district, so there's there's always oh, yeah. the possibility that it'll swing back. That's for sure. Certainly, certainly. And she's a freshman. I think that's that's really would be a thing if yeah. she was picked for a leadership position. Not yeah. unprecedented, but very rare. It's all also worth noting that. Um, uh, Stefanik was helpful to Henson in, in raising funds and, and in her campaign. So they have a relationship um, that goes back to, you know, uh, that campaign, that her first race. Um, so I guess maybe this is payback um, for yeah. Henson. Yeah, that could be. Moving along here, um, and speaking of all this optimism, uh, Governor Kim Reynolds has offered legislators a grand bargain to help them wrap up their 2021 session, not that they need any help. Uh, It's a plan that includes many of her priorities, including, according to her calculations, $400 million in tax relief. Senate Republicans called it thoughtful, a pro-growth compromise. House Republicans pumped the brakes, saying the plan goes beyond their comfort zone. The upshot seems to be that uh, they're going to be around for a while, Senate Majority Leader Jack Whitmer suggested, several weeks before... Republicans who control both the House, the Senate, and the governor's office can reach agreement. Rumors are that the Senate won't be in session next week. Um, things are so dire. The House is meeting on a Friday. Um, you know, we're, we're in, uh, you know, <laughs> troubled times. Uh, <laughs> and I suppose if there's any silver lining, it's that they'll still be in session when they finally get the, the maps from the LSA to <laughs> Congressional and legislative districts, they won't need a special session. They'll, they'll still be there. Uh, Aaron, this raises the question, what's going on? Republicans control all the levers of government, the House, the Senate, the governor's office. 
why didn't they work this out back in January or maybe even December? Yeah, right. And at this point, I'll be happy if they work it out in May. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's fascinating, isn't it? This with unified control, and this hasn't been a problem in in previous sessions. Um, I don't. I wouldn't call any of them super short, but none of them really lasted. You know, were really protracted over the past. Uh, what what is it now? Are we in the fifth fifth year of the trifecta? Um, so it's really fascinating this year to see um, pretty stark differences between. And basically, how it's aligned is that uh, Senate Republicans in the governor's office seem to be. Um, a little more closely aligned in, in their approach. And then you have House Republicans that have a different take on, on a number. And it's not even just one issue. It's a, it's a number of different um, things all within this um, kind of package of, of issues that are still out there between taxes and, and, and child care and, 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 and uh, heck, even the, the abortion amendment, they're trying to figure out differences in how the two chambers feel that that should be worded, you know, trying to get the language right between the two of them. Uh, so it's, so it's, it's just, it's really fascinating to, to see, um, you know, and, and if there's ever a reminder uh, that these two major parties aren't the monoliths that we sometimes make them out to be, I think they often are, but not always. And, and this is, this is a case that they're still capable of having kind of different, points of view within uh, the two, two parties, and that has certainly played out uh, uh, this year. Yeah, Speaker Pat Grassley was asked about that yesterday, and he tried to make that point that, uh, you know, Republicans come from, you know, what is it he said, they represent 97 counties out of 99, uh, and he doesn't think voters expect them to come down to Des Moines and all think alike and, and vote alike, uh, that they, voters would be disappointed if they, if they moved in lockstep. I mean, they, they, and 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 I understand his point, and that certainly played out this year. But I think voters wouldn't think that if they haven't been so conditioned to think exactly that over yeah. the history. <laughs> Usually, there is that. Uh, yes. Uh, unanimity. Um, so it's it's yeah it's 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 just interesting, and and even more. Con- I would have expected this more, maybe the last two years when. Senate Republicans had a huge majority in the Senate and House Republicans had a much more slim majority. And you could have said, well, Senate Republicans, they feel like they can take bigger, bigger bites at the apple where, where House Republicans, they've got a slim majority. They got to worry about the next election and protecting that. That's not even the case this year. House Republicans have just as big a majority as the Senate does almost. So it's, it, yeah. it's just, it's really interesting. One aspect of this, uh, Todd, is that Governor Reynolds has taken a largely hands-off approach to the session since delivering her condition of the state speech back in January. Now she's taking a more active role. She rolled out her compromise uh, Wednesday and reportedly was meeting with legislative leaders Thursday. And this comes after she called for a ban on the non-existent vaccine passports and then on Fox News told uh, legislators she would sign a bill limiting transgender youth participation in sports. Um, what, what's up with her sudden burst of activity here? Uh, is she running for something, running for re-election, uh, trying to raise her profile? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's likely she'll run for re-election. And, uh, you know, with the legislature, it's, you know, it, it is, it's probably productive that she has come out with 
sort of a compromise, and it sounds like she's on the same page as the Senate, as as has been mentioned. Uh, it's it's interesting though; those proposals have been, you know, on the table since day one of the legislative session. She she might have wanted to, you know, get on board with a compromise at some point during the first 110 days of the session, instead of after the, after the 110 days had had, had sort of uh, ended. So it's you know it's good to good to get in there and, and, and try to get something done. But I, I think, you know, sooner would have been better than, than later. And as far as the Fox News appearance, I, there's a part of me that thinks that, that she decided to back the, the transgender sports band while she was on stage at, at, at the, on the Fox forum, because it, I mean, she had never said much about the issue and, as the other governors were talking about it, it's maybe a light bulb went off and said, "Hey, I'm going to try to sign something like that this year too." So, and, and you know, it's, she's checking off the boxes as we talked about pints of politics last night. All of the things that red state governors are supposed to do make it harder to vote. You know, target the transgender kids, uh, target people on public assistance, make it harder for them to to do that, and uh, you know, and, and stick up for police and in. in and uh, you know, provide additional penalties against protesters. So that's that's what governors in red states like Florida and Mississippi and Arkansas and, and all these places are doing. And 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 the governor uh, here in Iowa is, is trying to uh, to follow suit. So uh, yeah, I it is about re-election, but it's also about you know sort of sending the message that this is the this is the sort of state that that we're going to have and. And that's, uh, that's, of course, going to draw some pushback. But as has been said, and as is the reality, they, they hold all the cards. So the uh, critics can complain, but they don't have the votes. Uh, Aaron, um, talking about the, the governor's appearance on, on Fox, um, you know, raising her profile. Yeah, she's expected to run for re-election. Um, is she running for re-election to basically the Fox electorate? I mean, in, in, in raising her profile, is that what matters, uh, is going to matter in 2022, that she uh, uh, turn out that Trump base um, yeah. that worked so well in 2020? I, I, I think what has been fairly clear from some of the signals we've seen already from the governors that she expects or, or, and or wants her reelection um, to be as nationalized as possible. Um, she, she talks as, you know, it feels like often as much about, especially when she's not, you know, at the, at the podium and at her weekly news conferences. And when we're asking the questions, uh, when she does appearances like these or, or you see on her social media, she talks as much about national issues, you know, like immigration or or now the transgender thing um, as she does um, anything that's more Iowa specific. So I, I think um, she would like to see a, 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 a race of 2020 and she'll have the benefit of having a, a U.S. Senate race atop the ticket. So so national issues and national issues will be important to voters next year. And, and I think it, it, it certainly seems like that's just fine, if not preferred uh, for Governor Reynolds, that um, 
and and maybe part of that is not wanting to have to rehash the pandemic and, and the state's response uh, yeah. uh, to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask. I mean, is this just a sort of a change the subject? Let's let's talk yeah. about immigration, yeah. uh, which isn't really. I mean, isn't on. Although Republicans like to say every state is a border state, it's it, we're not exactly on the border, uh, just of Missouri and Mississippi. But yeah, so is this just the attempt to change the the subject to sort of take the focus off of what's happening here in Iowa, or is there something out there on the national level for Kim Reynolds? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit of both, and. Um, you know, and it's going to be the first midterm under at the federal level and all Democratic, um, you know, administration and, and Congress. And, and that historically has meant better news for the out party. Um, so so there's there's some historical headwinds and, and trends there that would also make, you know, give Kim Reynolds a reason to, to kind of lean into that. Uh, those those national issues. So I think it's probably a little bit of mixture of both. I th and, and and to be fair, to be clear, I don't think Kim Reynolds in any way um, apologizes for or is is not willing to defend herself on the pandemic stuff. She is as much as much as she has her critics. She she clearly is confident in the way um, in the steps she took. I I just think she'd rather. I suspect, anyways, that she'd just rather not go over that again. And like we said, would rather talk about immigration and transgender athletes and Joe Biden's tax hikes or whatever. Well, <clears throat> it's interesting, uh, Aaron, you said that she, the signals that she's sending and, and the legislature seems to be sending signals as well. Uh, a favorite meme of conservatives is that so much of what liberals do is simply virtue signaling. Uh, you know, expressions to demonstrate their good character and political correctness. But Todd, hasn't the bulk of the work product of this legislative session been conservatives, Republicans spending their time on censoring big tech, making it harder to protecting free speech for snowflake campus conservatives and banning vaccine passports and sidelining transgender athletes? Isn't this really all about virtue signaling? Well, yeah, it's the, the virtues of, of their side of the political fence. Uh, and a lot of this is about, you know, sort of trying to punish folks who they think have, have wronged them or have made them into the victims of some sort of discrimination. I mean, the campus, campus socialists and the, uh, you know, the, the radical, you know, vaccine pushers. <laughs> and, you know, just all of these, all of these folks that, they think are, uh, you know, impeding Iowa from becoming the state that they think it ought to be, which is, you know, Christian and conservative and and straight and all of these other things. Uh, so they're, you know, they're sending messages. They, we have the power. Uh, we're not afraid to punish our critics through legislation. And as I said earlier, there's there's nothing you can do about it because you can't win elections and we can. So it's the... Uh, it's you know, it's it's it, part of the part of this though is you know beyond that it's like what what sort of image are they kind of constructing of Iowa, and I think that's what's mm. troubling to a lot of people is that as they look at this work product, uh, you know, 
this isn't the Iowa that a lot of us sort of grew up in or the politics that we're used to over the past 20 or 30 years and and things mm-hmm. have swung fairly quickly within a few election cycles and and so our our image is becoming different and a lot of people aren't comfortable with that but the base the Trump base the the folks that are uh, you know, at the, at the core of the Republican Party right now are, you know, rejoicing that this is finally happening. It's been a long time in coming. This is the state that we wanted all along. So, and they've got, they've got the power. What I find ironic is that, uh, as you said, they're saying we've got the power, but they're using their power to, like, put in all these protections. I mean, like, they well, need yeah, protection. You know, we have the power, the but we need, yeah. Yeah, that's the irony. We control the legislature, the governor's office, and the Supreme Court now tilts pretty well conservative. And yet we are still the victims of this vast liberal socialist effort to, you know, silence us, which makes and, you know, and and we won across the board in a heavy turnout election. But, hey, let's let's make it harder to vote anyway, just because (laughs) we can. I mean, it's yeah, it's there's all sorts of ironies in this that that that, i mean arguably the republican party right now is as powerful in iowa as it's been since you know back in the you know back in the in the 50s and and then you know before that i mean this was a very republican dominated state really until the 60s uh and they're at the height of their power and yet they use so much of it sort of uh in ways they're like well you know that they're fragile somehow which is they can't take diversity training that mentions systemic racism because that's it's just it's all really kind of strange i'm curious is anybody really talking about these issues other than on parlor and in you know those sorts of uh, (laughs) right-wing chat rooms and bulletin boards i mean I mean, I hear a lot more talk about the pandemic than I do uh, about systemic racism or diversity training. Or, you know, I mean, when, and, yeah, when people and I, talk about and And I hear more, a lot more about the cost of college than I do about free speech issues on campus. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah. But as we said, you know, politics has become nationalized. So you do have mm-hmm. a segment of the Republican electorate that, you know, is tuning into Fox News and listening to conservative right. radio. And these issues, right. all of this bundled together is just that liberals, we can't allow them to govern us because they're they're crazy and they're doing all these things and they're destroying the America that we grew up in and they're leading us to become, you know, something different with all of this wokeism and all of this stuff, you know. So, yeah, I think there are people out there that, they may not care about this on a day-to-day basis, but when they think about who they're going to vote for, they think about all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And they think, well, and they, and we've seen it. I mean, in, in rural counties, county seat counties, places like Webster County with Fort Dodge and Ottumwa and places where Democrats, you know, used to win, where people in smaller towns used to vote for Democrats, they've just kind of locked up now that they're, from a cultural standpoint, they just can't bring themselves to support anyone who might be, a, you know, a liberal. Amy, um, you're tuned into the the local scene there in Cedar Falls, Waterloo. Um, are you hearing any local economic development types expressing concerns that these actions make it harder to 
recruit people to come to John Deere, for example, or, or uh, other, you know, employers there uh, that they, some companies might overlook Iowa winters, but uh, be turned off by a state government that seems to be replacing the welcome mat with a don't step out of line warning, stay off my lawn sort of sign. Uh, is this a concern? Uh, not on the record, not out loud, not at this point. Um, I've, I've definitely heard, um, you know, people pull the governor aside when she comes to um, events and, you know, express a concern directly to her, but won't do it, you know, in that forum when, you know, I'm sitting there recording type of thing. Um, I think right now you're really seeing people, especially on the heels of a pandemic, which has just decimated existing businesses. You're really trying, starting to see people like trying to prioritize, you know, okay, yes, we need to bring in new businesses, but we need to get our existing businesses back on track. Um, and right now the governor is, you know, the state legislature is, is handing them money to do this. So the federal government's handing them money to do this. They're, I think, just really trying to like swim above water at this point. So I'm not really hearing, you know, those higher level concerns of, of whether certain bills um, that are getting passed or, or will be passed um, are going to negatively affect them because they're already negatively affected by so many other things right now. So I think it's just a really weird time. I think maybe when this all shakes out and the legislature finally closes and we get a sense of what has passed and, and what isn't going to be um, you know, brought to court, because maybe there will be a couple that are, um, then you might really see people talk a little bit about what they're worried about um, as far as that goes. I think probably the schools especially might have an issue. That's that's what I've heard a little bit is, is some of the school districts are worried about, you know, things like the charter school bill. And, and I'm assuming the transgender athlete bill is also going to be a sticking point for them. Aaron, when you look at what the legislature is doing, some of these um, issues we've been talking about, is there a political calculation here that they want to do all of these hyper-partisan issues this year? Mm-hmm. So they're not talking about it in an election year, or is it just setting the stage for the 2022 election? Yeah, I think probably more of the latter, if anything. Um, I mean, look, they've had the trifecta for through a f- few elections now, and, and they haven't, you know, they Republicans have passed some legislation that caused some pretty big uproars, uh, you know, at the Capitol and across the state, and they continue to win. So I, I don't sense that there's any hesitancy or concern about anything that they're uh, continuing to run. And, and in fact, if anything, um, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, James, but the Second Amendment amendment will be on the ballot next year in 2022. Isn't, isn't that right? I think you're right. And I'm yeah, sure so that and, will... And, and, and and from a assuming I'm right, we're we're remembering that correctly, from a conservative standpoint, why wouldn't you want that? There's there's another thing on the ballot that conservatives are going to be excited about and want and want to support, and that mm-hmm. could help drive out turnout. Now, the the flip side of that is, does that become an issue that maybe actually pushes some people to vote against that? And, I mean, that's it's not an automatic that that's a good thing for Republicans, but I'm sure a lot of them feel that that is a good thing them so 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 my point being that i don't think there's any hesitance about them taking any of these things into an election we we heard they we hear them say over and over that these are the things that we've campaigned on and talked to and heard from our constituents um which again i always put the asterisks there that remember anytime you hear a legislator say my constituents they're talking about my constituents from my party um 
but but they say that these are the promises we've made and the things we've talked about and and they have no reason to to run away from them all right the cdc now says it's safe to go outside without a mask on as long as you're not in a crowd so amy what are you doing without your mask on or what what's your plan I feel like I've already been outside the whole time without a mask on, not in crowds. So <laughs> I guess continuing that, hiking for sure. Sure. Aaron, you got big yeah, plans? I, yeah, I haven't had a, a mask on my nightly walk with my dog, which the only thing I thought of is maybe I should have had one like in my pocket in case I came across someone and started talking to them. Um, Do you put a mask on your dog? <laughs> not yet the first time he he bites someone maybe i will have to but well we are going to it'll be interesting to see we're going to an Iowa. well if it doesn't rain now i saw the forecast but we have tickets to the iowa cubs game saturday night so Ooh, so that'll nice. be interesting and fun hopefully if the weather cooperates yeah i uh, don't wear a mask when i go bicycling i do tape one with me in case I need it. I haven't. Um, and when I see people who are bicycling with a mask on, it's like, God, it just it's like, I don't know how they do that. <laughs> uh, so how about you, Todd? Big plans. Uh, yeah, we're, we're trying Flunked. to, you know, find some tickets to a baseball game here. So I think that's one priority since they didn't exist last summer. So, uh, yeah, yeah I, you know, I always wear a mask out on my deck. <laughs> I noticed the tan lines. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, you can't be too, you can't be too careful. I mean, you you know, you're sitting out there and wham, there's a COVID cloud and it just it just, it just gets you. I mean, how? What are you going to do? <laughs> no, no. I I I'm usually maskless outside. Often, so. Well, what worries me as we move out of uh, this mask era is what's going to happen to the mask industry? Yeah. <laughs> well, it didn't exist before a year ago, so. Yeah, I mean, a year ago, all the stories were about how everybody was shifting to make masks and shields, and blah, 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 you know. Mm -hmm. What's going to happen, you know? I got to tell you, though, there are probably some people that are like noticing, hey, you know, not only did I not get COVID, but I didn't get the flu and yep. I didn't get a cold. Yep. And mm -hmm. So maybe there will be people that are like, when I go to the grocery store, I'm just going to wear a mask because I, I, I didn't get sick last year. And I yeah. don't want anybody to recognize me. <laughs> well, yeah. that's a, <laughs> At some point, the banks are going to be like, okay, let's just, let's just pull yep. back on this because this is not yeah. <laughs> People come yep. in with a mask and a ball cap and sunglasses and you get a little bit. Okay, well, if we hear of any uh, bank robberies uh, in Todd's neighborhood, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll know who to talk, tell the police to check out. But uh, That's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. I hope it was worth your time. 
If you enjoy it, tell a friend and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Send your fan mail to podcast at thegazette.com. You can find us on the homepages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Jeremy Jacobs will take us out. And if you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics. For Aaron, Amy, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Stay well.